Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, it's with tremendous gratitude and thanks that we come here this morning to meet with you. Um, We who are sinners and who have sinned against you in thought and word and deed, we who have sinned against you in what we have done and what we've left undone, We who are full of polluted passions and distorted desires and warped wants, and yet you welcome us into your presence to worship through Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful that Jesus is our righteousness, that he kept the whole law in our place, that his body was broken in our place on the cross, his blood was shed. It's a blood that can wash the foulest clean. And Father, we are those people. We are those people that have been cleansed by the blood of your son, Jesus. And we are so thankful, Lord. As we are here, we just want to say that we wholeheartedly repent of our sin and we receive the forgiveness that you promise in Jesus. And Father, we just would ask as we're looking at the subject of adoption, that you would help all who are here who truly know you to really feel the redemption that you've made for them, to really feel the adoption that you've given them. Lord, we pray that you would help us to cry out, Abba, Father, And to live lives that are free from both legalism and from any slavery to sin, Lord. We pray that we would live as your kids. That we would find pleasure in you and security in you. That we've been adopted by you. Please, Lord, bless our offerings this morning. um, The offerings both of our goods and of our praise. We pray that you would increase them for your glory. We pray, Lord, that you'd make us cheerful givers of our time and treasure and talent. Father, we pray that you'd feed us. Feed us with your, the holy food of your word. Feed us with the food from your table at communion. Lord, you alone, you alone can order our unruly wills and affections. Lord, grant that to us. Help us, Lord, to love the things which you command and desire the things you promise. So that in this world, there's so much confusion, Lord, that our hearts would be clearly fixed to you. Clearly fixed to Jesus the only one who can give us everlasting joy. And Lord, we pray for those who don't know you yet, Lord, those who uh, are, are unaware of the gospel or they're aware of the gospel, but they've been resisting it. Lord, we pray that your adoption in this message would be so attractive, so overwhelming, that people would repent of their sin and trust in you. And we pray all this for the glory of Jesus, and we pray in his name. And all God's people said, Amen. So this Sunday is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, and so I thought that this would be a good Sunday to talk about adoption. And um, that might, you know, scare some of you. Uh, It might delight some of you. I think a lot of times there'll be a couple, and one of them's like, oh, yes, and the other one's like, Eric, no, right? And so I think it's going to be a good time for us to just start to develop a culture of adoption, in our church, we want to be the kind of church that both are adopting kids and also financially supporting others to do so, that we would see it as something we can do as a community. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to unpack how the gospel connects to adoption in this text in uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And then Mike's going to come up with a representative from International Christian Adoption and talk about some practical next steps. So if you feel like you're being ambushed, that's the Lord. And so, uh, but we're going we're gonna to look into that. In the very early days, guys, the, of the church, Christians were passionate about adoption. And there's good reason why they would be. Because our fundamental message, the gospel, is an adoption story, 
right? If you're a Christian this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior, it's because you have been adopted by God. God planned your adoption through Christ before he made the world. We'll see that in just a little bit in Ephesians 1. And then he created physical adoption as an illustration of the gospel. And so as we look at adoption, and especially as we practice adoption, the gospel will come alive to us in new ways. And I I see four here in this passage this morning in Galatians 4. We're going to see how the gospel displays the choice of adoption, the cost of adoption, the legality of adoption, and then the assurance of adoption. So those will be the four things. First one is the gospel is a display of the choice of adoption. Adoption starts, guys, when parents choose to adopt a particular child, right? I think that's obvious. It doesn't start with the kid, okay? It doesn't start with the kid going, you know what, I'm going to adopt some parents. It's the other way around. And your adoption in the gospel actually started the same way. It started with God the Father in eternity past. And if you look at verse 4 here, it says, when the fullness of time had come, God the Father sent forth his Son. That implies that there was some planning ahead of time. That he had planned something for you and in the fullness of time sends Jesus to die on the cross and, and pay for your sins. But it started way before. And if you look at Ephesians 1, take a look at Ephesians 1.3 because this is mind-blowing. Ephesians 1.3 shows how far back the Father planned your adoption if you're a believer this morning. It says this, Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father, so specifically about the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so adoption, guys, physical adoption displays God's choice in the gospel. If you're a Christian today, it's because God chose you to be his child before he made the world. How often do you think of that? That's incredible, right? I mean, you might think of your Christian life as like, oh, you know, you know, fairly recently or several years ago, I decided to be a Christian for now. We'll see how it goes. No, you were adopted before, before the foundation of the world. That's why you came to trust in Christ in the first place. And when we think about God adopting us, we should not think that God adopted us from an orphanage of, you know, full of friendly and thankful children, okay? Um, There's just so many delightful kids to pick from. We were one of those delightful kids. Uh, No, guys, uh, we were none none of that. There were no baby Yodas to pick from. I don't know if you guys have been watching The Mandalorian. Beautiful little child, right? Cuddly little child. That is not the kind of child any of you were, or I was, right? Ephesians 2 says that we were all by nature what? Children of wrath and sons of disobedience. That's pretty rough, right? I mean, if you were going to go and adopt a kid, imagine you pull up to an orphanage called Home for Children of Wrath and Sons of Disobedience. Okay, that's where God found us, okay? That's where God found us. And you can imagine walking through such a place and going, oh, well, how about him? Well, he bites a lot. Oh, well, how about her? Well, she destroys things with fire. What about him? Well, he clearly doesn't like you, right? When God chose to adopt us in eternity past, he knew that we would be people that would be in active rebellion against him and that we would resent his very intrusion in our lives. 
If you guys got saved kind of later in life, you remember resenting his intrusion in your life. You remember being difficult to draw in, right? And so when God chose us, he chose us not because of our worthiness. He chose us in our unworthiness. You know, in Roman adoption during this time when Galatians was written, a, a, a Roman man that had a lot of wealth and stuff but didn't have an heir could, could choose someone to adopt, and they would usually adopt an adult man or close to an adult man. And the reason was you wanted to find someone worthy. Worthy. If you're going to give all your stuff, you can give it to a worthy man to carry on your name. Guys, God didn't wait for us to be worthy to adopt us. He adopted us in our unworthiness. His adoption is all grace. Guys, God didn't adopt us because he had to meet some needs. That he had just like a big hole in his heart. And he needed somebody. He didn't need somebody. God is triune, three persons, all eternity past, enjoying one another uh, for all of eternity, in love and joy for one another. God has no needs. Russell Moore, in his book, Adopted for Life, which I highly recommend, I'm going through this right now, um, warns us not to adopt, quote, as a prop for us to achieve our dreams or our life expectations. Children are not issues. They are not projects. Children are alive. They're persons. And I would say that just for like having kids in general, right? You don't have kids, right, to, to meet all your dreams and your expectations. He says this, if you want your dream baby, do not adopt or foster a child. Buy a cat and make believe. If what, the, if, if what you like is the idea that a baby will fulfill your needs and meet all your expectations, a cat is a way better way to go. This is Russell Moore still. Decorate the nursery if you like. Dress it up in pink and blue. Take pictures, but don't adopt. Adopting an orphan isn't ordering a consumer item or buying a pet. Such a mindset hurts the child and countless other children and families who are watching your family in order to see what adoption means, right? So I think this is really important. Our culture is very much about us, right? Everything's about us. Everything's about our image and our identity and making a statement about ourselves, and this is not the place to do it. And it's not a place either to have our unmet needs filled by some other human, right? That's not a good thing to do in marriage. It's not good to do in parenting. Not in adoption either. He says this, No child should bear the burden of fixing his or her parents' marriage or their wounded hearts. If a child's an answer to some problem in your life, do not adopt. An adoption should be the result of an overflow of love in your home, not a deficit of love. And we think about the gospel that was certainly the case with the Father. He chose us in eternity past, not out of a deficit of love, but an overflow of love in the Trinity. He had love to share, he had love to give, and that's why he adopted us. Um, God, guys, God loves in a way that's not like our love. God is love, right? Our love is often, because it's flawed, it's often a response to the loveliness of another person, sadly, is that most of the love, what we call love is something, we see something lovable in someone else, and so we love them. God doesn't love that way. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. God's love comes from a deep well within himself. It's not a response to you. In Deuteronomy 7, when he talked about why he had taken in on Israel and adopted them, he says this. He says, you know, it's, he's trying to explain to Israel, like, why did I choose you? Why do I love you? He says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You go, oh, well, then what reason? For you were the fewest of the people. Well, what's the reason then? It was because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath he swore to the fathers. That's not an answer. <laughs> why, did he, why did he love Israel? He loved him because he loved him. 
Why does he love you? Why did he choose to adopt you? He loves you because he loves you. It's not an answer, but you know what? It's the most comforting thing you could possibly hear because this isn't something you got to prop up. This isn't something you got to keep going. His love comes with, from within himself. There's not a risk that someday I'm going to become so unlovable he's not going to want me anymore because he never loved me in the first place because of that. His love comes with, from within himself. Isn't that awesome? You can't mess this up. He loves you because he loves you, right? It's amazing. And it was God's own choice to adopt you as his child. And if God's calling you to adopt, what's really cool is he's calling you in some way to reflect his own electing love. Isn't that amazing? He's calling you, if you're be called to adoption, to reflect some of his electing love. And you can tell that child you adopt, we chose you. You know, we didn't decide to have children generally. We saw you and we chose you the way the Father chose us. And you guess what? The Father chose that we would be a family. You can tell the child that. This is, uh, overall, it's God's choice that we be a family. Uh, So the gospel is displayed in the choice of adoption. The gospel is displayed in the cost of adoption. The gospel is uh, a display of the cost of adoption. Adoption, guys, um, is, is something when a parent chooses to adopt a particular kid, and it's at great cost. And I think this is something that, you know, parents that have adopted will say, count the costs. Realize there is a cost. Yes, we want to encourage you to do this, but we don't want you to go in blindly like there's no cost, right? And it's not just the financial cost. There's other costs as well. The gospel is a display of the cost of adoption. Look at verse 4 in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time came, God the Father sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God the Father sets the stage for the Son to come, right? So he's planned this from eternity past. He's going to send his Son to pay the debt of your sin. He waits until history is just right. You know, all that Old Testament history is setting this perfect stage to understand the ministry of Jesus. Um, There's all kinds of other things that are happening in world history that are making it just the right time. You've got the Roman occupation. You've got crucifixion crucifixion's been developed. You've got a common language within the Roman Empire to spread the message of the gospel. And so it's the perfect time for the son, for the father to send the son, and he sends him to pay the ultimate cost for our adoption. Guys, the father could not have paid more for us. Our adoption cost was his son. And you can see the cost in that word redeem. You see that in verse four? Redeem. That word redeem was really common in that time used as a slave market term. That was the price paid to release a slave from a slave market. Redeem, right? Because, guys, we weren't adoptable. We weren't adoptable because we were sinners enslaved to sin. Before he could adopt us, he had to pay the price of release. A a price for our sin had to be paid first. And that's what that word redeem is there. And so God the Son becomes a real human being. You see that in verse 4? He's born of a woman born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. The Son of God actually put himself under the legal um, code that we should have lived, God's law. He kept it perfectly in our place. We've never kept the law. We've never kept God's commands perfectly. Jesus did. And then we were redeemed through his law keeping. I think it's really important for us to focus once in a while. We talk about how we're saved by grace, not by works. We actually are saved by works, but they're Jesus' works right? We're saved by law-keeping. The law had to be kept. We are saved by law-keeping. We are saved by works, but they're Jesus's works, not ours. And so he lives this life perfectly in our place, a life we should have lived, and then on the cross he pays the debt we owed, right? He pays the price of redemption with his own body and his own blood to release us from a slave market. 
And what's really cool is that in itself would be plenty of reason to praise God forever, wouldn't it? Like, that'd be plenty of reason to praise God forever. He, he took us away from the penalty of our sin. He was redeemed us. He's taken us out of slavery. He's made us right with himself. But what's really cool is that he was redeeming us to do something more. Do you see that in verse 5? So that. You see the so that? He redeemed us so that we might receive adoption as sons. God redeemed us to adopt us. God redeemed us. The whole work of the cross was to remove the obstacle so that he could welcome us into his family and adopt us. He was paying our adoption price, our adoption fee. The, the son and the father loved you enough to pay this cost. And I, I bring in the father because the father paid a cost too, right? John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's a price that was paid by the father. He didn't die in the, on the cross for you, but he, his price paid was giving up his son on the cross. And then the son's price was to be that, that bearer. And then in some way, the Holy Spirit assisted Jesus to do that. We know that from Hebrews. And so there's a, a cost. This is, this is something that, that, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit paid together in some way, right? It's a cost paid together. Paid by the Son, but the Father in giving the Son and the Spirit in supporting it. Guys, adoption is not easy. There will be costs for your whole family, Right? There'll be costs for your whole family to do this. Something that you're going to pay together. And some of those costs are foreseen. Some of them are unforeseen. And um, I'm always afraid of the unforeseen ones. Right? And I can spin out in my mind what might be there, what might happen, and all these kind of scenarios. But you know what? I'm probably not even thinking of all the possibilities, which is scarier. Right? When I realize that it might, I'm not even creative enough to think of all the things that could happen, right? So there's some that are foreseen, some that are unforeseen. It's important to count the cost, but you guys, you know what's amazing is that the Father and the Son did count the cost. All the costs of the cross were perfectly foreseen in eternity past, and yet God sent forth his Son for you. Isn't that amazing? Totally foreseen. There's no surprises there for them. And if you're called to adopt, um, you will pay many costs. Some are going to be financial. Some are going to be non-financial ones. The non-financial ones are probably harder. But guys, let it be a sweet reminder of the cost that God paid to adopt you. That's what it should be, right? Every time there's a cost to pay, to be thinking about the gospel and thinking about, like, this is just a reminder. I'm adopted. I was adopted into God's family. And he paid this infinite cost of his son to adopt me. And what's really cool is that when we're doing this, if, we, if we're called to adopt and we're, we're paying those costs of adoption, we're actually kind of living out our family legacy, right? The family we were adopted into, God's family. We're living out a family legacy. We're actually reflecting the gospel in a way, living out the same mission as the Father and the Son. Isn't that cool? Guys, the, adoption's costly because mission is costly. And, and adoption is part of the Great Commission work, Right? It's, it's a means of the Great Commission, isn't it? And the Great Commission, guys, is costly, right? And, and one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, some of these costs we, we can even bear together, right? You know, when you first think about it, I've talked to a few people about it already, and they're like, well, you know, I've heard how much it costs financially and things like that. And it's like, well, you know, like maybe we get a fund together. Maybe we get others in the church to contribute to this. Those who maybe aren't called to adopt can, can assist you in doing this financially. Like this could be something we build as a culture in our church. Wouldn't it be cool if we were able to adopt maybe dozens of kids between us in this church and, you know, some local and some from all nations? Talk about the Great Commission from every tribe and tongue and, and nation and people, right? 
Um, we're going to hear more about that in a little bit. But some of us would, would be about this by adopting, some of us by supporting it, and then all of us by producing a, a church environment, a church family that would assist this, right? So we'd all be involved in it in some way. And that's what I'm praying for with this message. You know, I want this to build a culture of adoption, not just be kind of one message and we leave it. We'll come back to this and, um, and we'll just see what the Lord does with it. You know, but it's, it's super important for me to at least put it on our radar and start to build towards this. And so the gospel displays the choice, the cost, and the legality. That's the third one, the legality. The gospel is displayed in the legality of adoption. Uh, when parents adopt, they, they're, they're making a choice, they're paying a cost, but they're giving that child le- full legal standing in their family. Full legal standing in their family. And um, God did that for us in the gospel, Right? And we can see that in this passage. Adoption is a legal transaction. It's full of lots, from what I understand, full of lots of red tape and legal loopholes and all kinds of things that can go wrong. And those can be a hindrance, guys, but they can also be a time to remember the wonderful legal standing you have in Christ. What God did to give you that legal standing in Christ. Your spiritual adoption, guys, in Christ is a real, permanent, legal transaction. That's what happened. He did a real permanent legal transaction to make you his own. It's not just that, you know, you kind of feel like being a Christian for now and, you know, we'll see if you hold on. No, if you're a Christian today, it's because God legally, permanently adopted you as his child. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Um, What's the tense on verse 6 about our sonship? Because you will be, were, what is it? Present tense, right? Because you are sons. Isn't that awesome? Because you are sons. And it's emphatic, too. Because he talked about being a son, and then he goes, and because you are sons, he's being emphatic about this. He's saying, you are, this is something you presently have. And he says, because you're a son, you have inheritance, right? Sometimes in the New Testament, guys, there's words that can mean uh, either siblings or children, and it's, and it's girls and boys, right? It's sons and daughters. Uh, there's a word adelphoi that, that is often translated brothers, in the ESV at least, and really what it means is it means brothers and sisters. And so you'll notice sometimes whenever I read adelphoi and I'm reading here, I'll say brothers and sisters because it's an inclusive word and it should have both. This word here, though, huios, is, it means sons, it doesn't mean sons and daughters. And you might think like, guys, that sounds kind of exclusive. You might think like, is that showing a lower regard for women that, that he doesn't say sons and daughters? Why does he say sons and daughters? Well, it's exactly the opposite, guys. Paul already said that men and women have equal standing in Christ. If you look at Galatians 3.28, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, you're all one in Christ, Jesus. And so you might ask, well, then why doesn't, he, why doesn't he say sons and daughters here? There's two reasons. The most important reason is that in the first century, only sons got legal inheritance. Okay? So it's actually elevating to say both boys and girls, men and women are sons in this context. Because only sons had legal inheritance in this. Um, and so Paul's making clear that, that men and women, boys and girls, all have equal legal standing in Christ. Okay, so that's what he's trying to say. He's like, no matter what your gender is, you're a son. The other reason, which is really cool, is that in adoption, you're being given Jesus' actual sonship. 
I don't know if I can explain this as well as I should, but when you came to Christ and you were adopted, you weren't just given uh, a kind of child-father relationship with God. You were given Jesus' actual sonship. You were united to Christ such that Jesus gave you his very relationship with the Father. The relationship you have with the Father is not a new one. You've actually been included in the eternal sonship of Christ, which is amazing, right? And so you have his very legal sonship. And that's the good news, guys. The good news is that God the Father gives you all the love, all the treasuring, all the inheritance that comes from being the true son of God. And that's why men and women and boys and girls here are called sons. And so the gospel, guys, is displayed in the legality of adoption. And so as you're going through, if you're called to do this, as you're going through that work of, of, of getting that child legally your child, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity to think about the gospel, right? Parents often have this experience, and ones that are here can tell you that when the court or the judge had declared that child, their legal child forever. This is like this flood of emotion. Like, this is amazing. This is for real. And Christian parents are able to hear the gospel in those words. That I am the Father's true child, permanently and forever, totally his legally. Um, And so, um, the fourth one. The fourth one. So we got cost. We got choice, cost, legality, and the last one. I love this one. This is one of my favorites. Is is this last one? The gospel is displayed in the assurance of adoption. So here's a thing that I'm coming to learn from reading and talking with people is that after the cost of adoption, the choice and the cost and the legal work and all that, there still comes a lifelong work, really, of encouraging that child and making that child feel the reality that they're really your child. There's a work of assurance, right? There's a work of assurance that needs to happen. And that work of assurance, it displays the gospel. In fact, the Gentiles in this passage in Galatians, the Gentiles, uh, Christians that Paul was writing to were struggling with this. Paul was writing to people that were getting cheated out of their, the joy of their adoption. So what happened was Paul preached the gospel to him. He leaves, false teachers come in. And those false teachers come in and they tell the Galatians that, eh, you're not really sons and daughters of God, right? So these were some Jewish teachers, and they say, you're not really God's kids. You know the Jews are only really God's kids, right? Like, it's cute what you're doing, but it's not real. It's fiction, right? And they would have said something like this. Paul's message about Jesus being the Jewish Messiah is true, but you know, he didn't give you all the facts. Here's the rest of the message. If you're going to be saved by the Jewish Messiah, if you're really going to be included in this Jewish family, you're going to have to become a lot more Jewish. You have to get circumcised, it's keep the Mosaic law. You know that God only has Jewish kids, right? That was the message. Can you imagine how undermining this is? And these are people that live way off in the sticks of the Roman Empire, right? They've never seen Jesus. They've never been to the Jerusalem church or any of that. Some people come along and they're like, it's neat what you're doing, but it's not the real deal. You're not really God's kids yet. And adopted kids can wrestle with this, right? They can wrestle with a kind of assurance. You know, am I one of their real kids? And guys, we can unintentionally make all kinds of mistakes that would increase the doubt of their adoption. And it's, reading this book, it was a little scary even to do this message because I feel like there's many minefields, there are many mines you can step on while you're doing this. But he was talking about ones like where he adopted these two boys 
And people are always like, oh, are they twins? You know, they're three weeks apart. So no, they're not twins. And people ask things, oh, are they real, are they real brothers? And he's like, they are now. They are now. <laughs> right? Or they would ask things like, did you have any kids of your own? You know, questions like that will start to undermine like, okay, so we're not like real kids of theirs, right? It's this idea that there needs to be something physical that would make us a real family, something physical that would make them your real kids. And these false teachers are playing on that too, that there's something physical you need to do. It's got to be circumcision and keeping the law and things like that if you're going to be the real kids of God. Right? They preached a faith in Jesus plus some of your own accomplishments, something about you that gives you acceptance. That's called legalism. That's adding anything to the work of Christ to feel accepted and loved by God. That's called legalism. We all wrestle with legalism. But guys, it is impossible to add anything to the work of Christ to get yourself more adopted, more in the family, more loved, more accepted. It's as impossible as an adopted kid trying to change his DNA to match his parents right? It's that impossible. We think, well, it's probably not that impossible. It is that impossible. It's totally that impossible. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. It's impossible. And so Paul wrote this letter to combat this, you know, legalistic message that was robbing these people of the joy of their adoptions, making them feel like outsiders, making them feel like they're not really God's kids. And guys, we can do that too, can't we? We can cheat ourselves. We don't even need false teachers to come. We can cheat ourselves out of feeling our assurance as God's adopted children, right? I mean, I can tell without somebody telling me that I don't look like Jesus, right? Nobody needs to come up and go like, are you sure you're a Christian? Because you don't look like Jesus. I'm like, yeah, I know. You don't really look like the Father. I know, right? That's very painfully aware to me, right? And that we have this incessant impulse to try and find reasons within ourselves to, to kind of land on and, and hold on to and really feel accepted and loved by God, to put our assurance in law-keeping and, and look for our acceptance in that. And so in Galatians 4, God wants every one of you who are trusting in Jesus, every one of you that are his sons and daughters, to know that you are loved and wanted and enjoyed by the Father. If you're trusting in Jesus, know this. You're God's real kids. Okay? There aren't any more real kids that he's got than you. You are his real kids. And God gives this assurance to us through the Spirit. Take a look at verse 6. Look how much God wants you to feel this. Look at how much God wants you to have assurance of his love, of his, the fact that you're really his child. Look at verse 6. He, he does something more so, than he's already done. He does this. He says, And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't this cool? Did you notice the whole Trinity's here? Father chooses, right, to adopt you. The Son comes and redeems you. Um, that's in verse 6, or verse 5. And then in verse 6, then when you become a Christian and trust in Christ, the Spirit comes within you to give you that assurance. Isn't that amazing? And he does this by uniting you to Christ. And so I spoke earlier about we're legally considered true sons of God through our union with Christ. And we trusted him. We became united with Christ so that we get all that Christ deserves. All that he's done is credited to us. All that we've done got credited to him on the cross. And so, but the other thing that happens when you're united with Christ is that the spirit actually connects the life of Christ to you. This is really cool. So it's not just a legal union, but his life flows in through you. And what this passage is saying here is that the Holy Spirit, who notice is called the Spirit of the Son, actually infuses into you 
this sense of your sonship and this desire for the Father and to make you to truly feel like a son of God. He sends the Spirit of the Son into your heart. The Spirit of the Son actually implants the Son's actual feelings for the Father into your heart. Isn't that amazing? Cause you to cry, Abba, Father, right? Think about Abba. That's a really weird word for him to use in this context. Do you know why? These are Greek speakers. Abba is an Aramaic word. doesn't make sense to do this with people, right? You know, why would you use this word Abba all of a sudden, not translate it? Why do that? Well, he doesn't translate it because he's using a word that, that Jesus used for the Father. When Jesus talked to the Father, and people would overhear him doing this, praying and stuff, he used the word Abba, and Abba is a really simple word. It's a word a baby can say. Abba, Abba, right? It could be the first word a Jewish baby would say. Very easy to say, Abba, 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 right? And so Jesus would use this word Abba, right, when he talked to the Father. And, and it was shocking to people around him. They're like, that's not cool. That's too familiar. God's transcendent. He's holy. You can't be talking to him like that. But Jesus, guys, is God's very own son, right? And so he could use this term because he's God's own eternal son. And so he was totally welcome to use it. Now you can too, and you will. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And I just ask you this morning, is that the cry of your heart? When you think about the God who made this world and made you and made all things and reigns over this world, do you think of him as your Abba? Think of him as your Abba. If you're in Jesus, you should think of him as your Abba. Right? You should cry out to him as your Abba. And, and if you do, I know exactly where it came from. It came from the spirit of the Son within you, whom the Father gave you, because he wants so badly for you to know you are his real kid. Isn't that awesome? That he would do all this work. He's like, okay, I'm going to choose to adopt you. Okay, I'm going to give my son to pay for your sin, and then I'm going to make this legal thing happen so that you're mine forever. And then he goes, but I don't want you feeling like you're not really mine. And so I'm going to put my spirit into you, the spirit of the son, and he's going to cause you to really feel like you're mine. Isn't that amazing? The father does all this to assure us. Um, it, I just, do you guys see how adoption comes, makes the gospel come alive? It's just amazing. It's so foundationally about the gospel. It's a beautiful sign of the gospel. And so my prayer is as a church that we would discover and display the gospel in new ways through adoption. And so with that said, I'm going to have Mike come up, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about some practicalities, and then I'll come back briefly, don't worry, and finish things up. All right, well, thanks, Eric, and uh, good morning, church. Um, so I, you know, I thank Eric because it was a, a reminder to me, too, of the fact that we share the same faith and that we are truly brothers and sisters of the same faith together. And so you also validated when I greet people, I, can, I get to say, yo bro, yo sis, what's up? So, and that's true, because we are brothers and sisters of the same family. But you may be asking too, at least if you know me, yeah, so, so why is this guy Mike up there? He doesn't have any adopted kids, right? right? And you'd be right, you'd be right. I don't have any adopted kids right now. But I believe that God has called me and my family on this journey of adoption. And so why I'm up here is really to share kind of what God has stirred in me and my wife so far. And, and it might be something that God is doing in your own life. Um, before uh, we got married, ironically, my wife 
and I had this sensitivity to adoption. And uh, we later came to find after we got married uh, that we both had the same uh, desire. And so we took this as a greater confirmation that God was calling us to do something in, uh, to serve in that way and to be used by him to reach that group. And uh, my wife later came to work with International Christian Adoptions, uh, who we have here today with us. And so she was uh, serving with them and worked with them for uh, over a year, almost two years. And just the stories of the, the orphans, the abused children um, that she came across, finding a loving family and a new hope. Um, she would come home and tell me the stories, and so it got me more excited for, wow, this is something we could do, you know, and, and so we, we were getting more excited about uh, being able to do this. So later, we, uh, we actually took a step of faith, and we fostered an international refugee uh, from Africa, and so this was, a, for us, a, you know, something different. We'd never done anything like this, but we answered the call. We did it. Um, and for two months, we had um, uh, someone, you know, living with us who was part of uh, an experience of refugee life. And uh, it was one of the most challenging things we'd ever done. Um, you know, there were times of just desperation. How are we going to do this? Because, you know, there was a language barrier. There was a barrier culturally. Um, the experience was completely different. And so um, it, was, it was definitely a challenge. Um, but, you know, through that, I learned... Like Philippians 2 says, that I should count others more significant than myself. It, it caused me to really consider my empathy to other people, his experience in life. Because, you know, I might see it from the outside and say, this is just rebellion. He's just, you know, a radical kid, doesn't want to listen. But, you know, if I really knew his story and the life that he lived, I, I would be in that place myself probably, coming from where he came from. So it taught me that. And then, like Eric was saying, in uh, I read Ephesians 2 and just realized the fact that we were once estranged from God. And Paul says this many times. We were once estranged from God, separated from Christ, but by his blood we've been brought in. We were once aliens, but we've been brought in as citizens now of the household of God. So I was that myself. And so seeing this picture of someone who was living a pretty much abandoned you know, and trade, uh, he was, you know, abused by uh, even slave trade at the time. So it was, it was a very, very difficult situation for him. It caused me to realize that, you know, when he was walking, I remember walking together in our, in our track area, and he grabbed my uh, son's hand, and they were walking together, and to see this picture of, you know, so varied backgrounds. I mean, it looked like, yeah, I don't know if you've read that book of Mice and Men, you know, you've got this tall teenager who were trying to learn how to, <laughs> how to raise a teenager or be a part of this teenager's life, but then, you know, we've got a two-year-old too. So to see them walking hand in hand together and then to see him eating at our table as a part of our family together, praying together, I just started to see this picture of the gospel. Like, there, I mean, very, so, so different backgrounds coming in, but still loving, you know, despite all of that. Um, so I say that with, you know, a heart of wanting to see that, that type of um, adoptive process where we see spiritually speaking what we 
uh, see and know spiritually actually coming out and living into that in a physical family. It's like a true picture of the gospel. And so I, I'm thankful today to have, uh, this is Jill, she's with International Christian Adoptions. And so she has many years of experience working with um, adoptive foster families, counseling them and helping to uh, see that become a reality um, and has so much more experience than I do for sure. So I, I wanted to invite her to really share about the practical things because I, what I found out too is there's so many different ways we can help. So like Eric mentioned, financially, we can come in and support adoptive families. But also, um, you know, if we are called to this because it's a calling, then we can ourselves adopt. Sometimes, you know, the financial barrier or just, just the weight of it is, seems too much. But um, at International Christian Adoptions, they're, they're right in our community, and they, they help to walk through that process. And so I wanted her to talk a little bit about, okay, what options are actually out there uh, for families? Because maybe the idea has just went... In and out of your mind, you know, and you're like, nah, not going to happen. Or maybe you're actually talking about it right now. Um, either one of those cases, you know, this may stir, stir in you something. So um, I welcome her and I'll let her kind of share a little bit about um, what she does and then a uh, practical adoption process that's out there. Thank you, Michael. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it being here with you this morning and worshiping with you. It's been a real blessing, thank you. Um, so like Michael said, uh, we are International Christian Adoptions. Uh, we are a private, nonprofit, licensed uh, foster care and adoption agency um, in Temecula. And we've been around for 30 years. So we've been around for quite a while in the same location. Um, a lot of times people have not heard of us or don't even realize we are where we're located because we're fairly small. Um, our leader, our president, and our founder has purposely kept us um, fairly small just so we can really provide uh, personal uh, services and attention to our families and the children we serve and and so we don't want to get too big um, so um, but we're right there in Temecula and um, we'd love you to come visit us anytime because we are local really you know we are a licensed with the state of California foster care adoption agency but really we're a ministry um, everyone that works there um, you know we're all strong believers and uh, yes we're professionals but we really see it as our calling and it is our ministry um, it's a very unique agency um, literally on Monday mornings uh, when we have staff together uh, we are um, praying together sharing each other's prayer requests we have uh, musicians that come in and we have worship together uh, we pray for all of our families all of our children so it is a pretty unique agency and um, I will say I'm incredibly blessed to work there we do a lot of different things but what I want to focus on today um, like Michael said is um, adoption and I also want to talk with you about foster care because uh, there's obviously a big need for that as well um, I'll start with international adoption obviously it's in our name um, it is where the agency started um, it is the passion um, especially of our leader our president um, she's very globally minded and um, she just is constantly seeking new ways that we can reach out and um, reach just 
make a difference for the, the hurting children in the world. We primarily um, work with, when it comes to international adoption, uh, the Philippines, um, Taiwan, India, Romania, and Latvia. Those are the um, countries right now that uh, we work primarily with, but we can work with um, all different countries um, when we partner with other agencies uh, that have those programs. So we are not limited to just those countries. When it comes to international adoptions, um, you know, the majority of these children, they are coming from orphanages. Um, they oftentimes, um, it's due to war, poverty, natural disasters, diseases. You know, these are the reasons why a lot of these children um, have become orphaned or in orphanages. When we think about adoption, a lot of times, we think, oh, it's costly, and I, I could never afford it. Um, international adoptions does, you know, it, it does have a cost, you know, to it, but it's really important to know that there are lots of grants out there um, that we can help you to find, to fund an adoption. There's always fundraising. There, there are um, loans. There are adoption loans that exist. Um, Christian Credit Union has a um, an adoption loan with a very, very low interest rate. So there are ways, you know, that we can be creative and brainstorm with you if you wanted to do an international adoption. Let me go on, well, let me give you a number. Um, I, I throw stats out at people, sometimes it's a little overwhelming, but sometimes it's what we need to hear to kind of hit us and, and to realize you just the epic proportions of what we're dealing with. But stats do um, show that there's 153 million orphans worldwide, million. So it's pretty overwhelming when we look at that number. I want to um, go on and talk a little bit about domestic um, adoption and foster care. Because what we need to realize is that here in our own country, um, we have an epidemic. On any given day, we have about 430,000 children in our foster care system right here in our own country. Um, so that's, that's pretty devastating if, if you think about 430,000 languishing in our foster care system. Among the 430,000, there are about 130,000 that need to be adopted. So these are children um, that are not able to be reunified with their birth families. Um, there are no relatives who are able to take them in, and they truly are being raised in the foster care system, and they need to be adopted out of the foster care system. So when you hear about foster to adopt, that's what that is. Um, now, there's always a need for, for really good foster parents, too, though. You know, that's temporary care. That, that's opening up your home, taking in children that are coming into the system, just loving on them, giving them a safe home, really being part of that uh, team that's helping to reunify children with their birth parents. It, it, it's not for everyone, but it is, it's, a, it's a true ministry. It really is. And I've worked with amazing foster parents over the years that um, have just really made an amazing difference in children's lives, planting those seeds, even if they're in your home for, you know, sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's a year. 
year and just planting those seeds. Sometimes it's the only, it might be, you know, the first home where they were ever introduced to the gospel. So just that alone, you know, is amazing to bring these children into your home. Um, so we are always looking for people to open up their homes for foster care, but we also are looking for families who want to adopt children from the foster care system. So it's important to know that the children that are waiting to be adopted um, in the system, the average age is eight. So there are a lot of school-aged children um, that are waiting. Of course, there's a lot of teenagers. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the older a child gets in the system, their chances of being adopted do decline pretty drastically. Um, so you know, we educate that um, even the 17-year-old 18-year-old, there's such thing as adult adoption. 19-year-old, um, they all need to be adopted. They all need families. Because the, um, the bleak truth is that when we, when we look at the stats as far as um, youth that are emancipating from the system, um, it's, it's, it's not pretty. It's, it's very, very depressing. Um, they do end up a lot of times homeless, involved in criminal activity, prostitution. Uh, so it's it's really these these youth need families, you know, just like all, all of us that are raising kids I have a 19 year old daughter. I can't imagine her being out there on her own, right? She still very much needs a family um, Very much, you know needs somewhere to come home for Christmas, you know, so uh, we do a lot of educating around um, You know adopting the older kids uh, sibling sets is another thing that we see a lot. Of course, you know, the courts are trying to keep siblings together, and so sometimes that can be difficult to find adoptive homes, um, you know, for sibling sets. Um, sometimes, you know, two, yeah, that's not too hard, but three, four, five, I've seen up to 10 in a sibling set. Um, so that can be difficult. Also, lots of kids with medical needs, uh, developmental disabilities, um, behavioral problems. Um, so these are the kids that need the homes. And they're not the easy kids, but they're hurting. They're hurting kids. And um, it does, um, you know, take a very special kind of parenting. Um, it's not like any other parenting that you've done before. Um, but rest assured that we, we do lots and lots of training. Um, that's like the first thing um, when families come and start working with us, lots of training. Um, because all these children have been traumatized to some degree. And so we call it uh, parent trauma-informed parenting. You have to become a trauma-informed parent and um, you will parent um, these children differently than um, if you're raising biological children. Let me go on to um, encourage you that a lot of times when we hear, oh, adoption and foster care, sometimes I think when I talk with, with people, they tune me out a little bit because they think, oh no, you know, that's not for me, or I just, I'm not at a place in my life that I could do that, um, or financially I couldn't do that. And, and I understand, it's not for everyone. And um, people are sometimes surprised that as social workers that we will not discourage people, but basically, you know, we'll say, you know, and it was very similar, you know, to what you were saying, that, um, you know, not everybody is, is um, cut out to, to do this. Um, you really have to count your costs. You really need to think about your season of life and uh, the children that are in your home already. And, and there's just a lot to look at. But what I always like to encourage um, the body of Christ is that 
Everyone can make a difference somehow. There are lots of practical, um, out-of-the-box um, ideas on what you can do to make a difference. So we're really trying to encourage um, you know, people to, to do that. So let me just share some ideas. For example, um, we had um, a woman call us not that long ago who's an esthetician. She said, hey, I want to provide free facials for any teen girls you know, that, that you're you know, servicing at this time. How amazing is that? Um, maybe you are a handyman and you could help um, a, fi a family um, you know, with things around their house. I spoke at Sunridge Church not too long ago and we had people coming up saying, hey, I'm, I'm an auto mechanic. I'd be happy to help out you know, a foster or adoptive family with any auto needs that they have. It's this whole idea of you know, wrap around a family who is doing this hard work. Um, and you probably have some right here in your congregation. If not right here in your congregation, I know for a fact, I can think of four or five different families that I know of that live in Menifee that are fostering or adopting that the church, you know, really, you know, needs to wrap around and, um, you know, come alongside them. Obviously, prayer, bathing them in prayer, um, but also practical needs, you know. Maybe you're an educator and you could provide some tutoring services. Maybe you um, offer to go over and mow their lawn one Saturday. These sound like little things, but it makes a big difference to a family who's doing this hard work 24 seven. Um, maybe you provide some meals, like when um, child first arrives. You know, we do that for when, when uh, families have newborns, right? Uh, well, why not help out um, a family that's just welcomed a child into their home with some meals? So these are just some, you know, out of the box thinking. Uh, and I have a whole list um, out on my table out there that you can grab that kind of makes you start to kind of think about, oh, you know, maybe there's a way that I can help. Maybe I can't open up my home right now, but there's a way that I could help. So thanks awesome. so much for Thank having you. me. And, I appreciate she'll it. She'll be back there at the table, right yeah. back there. And we've also got the Rogers here. Um, Rogers, adoptive family that would love to talk to you guys more um, about adoption. Let's pray for all the families that are here. Father, we just uh, come before you and we just, Lord, are... We're willing to do whatever you've called us to do. And so we pray, Lord, that you would show us what that is, Lord, if it's to, if it's to adopt at some point in our lives, um, if it's soon, if it's later, Lord. Just help our hearts to be open, open to what you'd have, Lord. Help us to be uh, willing to, to help and to share in any way that we can as, as these suggestions of, of other practical helps that we can give to families in our body that are adopting. So helpful, Lord. We pray that we would be a body that, that assists in this work. And, and I pray, Lord, especially for all of us that are here, Lord, that we would sense and know that we are your kids, that you have adopted us, you've taken care of all the needs that we have, and that that uh, desire for you that's in our hearts is something that you've given us through your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to transition now into the Lord's Supper, and one thing that's the most important thing for us this morning, guys, is for you to know for sure that you've been redeemed and adopted. And how can you know that? John 1:12 says this, to all who received him, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave them the right to be children of God. And so here we are at the Lord's table, and as we come to the Lord's table, we're coming to the table of our Father. We're being welcomed as his kids. We're remembering the price of adoption, right? We're remembering through the bread, we're remembering the body of Christ. 
through the cup or remembering the blood of Christ, that our full payment has been made. As we take this, the Spirit is feeding us Christ and reminding us that, that the Father enjoys us, that the Father hears us, that the Father wants us, that the Father seeks us, that the Father treasures us, and this is all by grace. And then we also look forward to Him returning, our Father's returning for us. First John 3 says the See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that we will be like him when we see him. And so as you guys take the Lord's Supper, maybe think about taking the Lord's Supper with somebody else that's here that's not in your physical family. That'd be a great thing to be able to do. Let's pray, and we'll have the worship team come up. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Be our companion on the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken our hope that we may know you as you've revealed yourself in the scripture and the breaking of this bread. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.